Reading from Luke 12, 32 through 34. Jesus said these words, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, and with treasure in heaven that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. If you have a Bible, let's go to Luke chapter 12. This is where we're going to be tonight. Luke chapter 12. We're going to back up and we're going to start in verse 13 and work our way toward the text we just read. Verse 13 and 14 sets the context for us tonight. And the context is while Jesus was teaching, someone just interrupts him. He's just teaching the crowds, teaching his disciples, and someone comes up, says, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me, just out of the blue. But Jesus said to him in verse 14, man, I like that. Who made me a judge and arbiter over you? And right here we see uh, several very important things. And what this man does on this day, coming up to Jesus, interrupts him in the middle of his teaching and asks Jesus for something very personal, very pointed, and that something that he's asking for has to do with someone else, actually. We all do the same thing because we live in a world of what and want all the time, don't we? What we want, what we want, we want what we want to see, and the same thing is here with this man. Now, in all fairness, people in the first century would go up to rabbis, and they would ask for a ruling on different family things. We see that in the book of Deuteronomy and Numbers, sure. But Jesus' response to the man on this day tells us and tells the man and all who are listening to this that Jesus is not your ordinary rabbi. And he has come to the earth to do something very different than the other rabbis. Right here in the beginning of verse 13 and 14, this man goes up and he's talking to Jesus. And whenever we talk to Jesus, we call it prayer, right? But notice what he's praying for. And this is a big lesson for us, I think. He's praying that Jesus, who is God, will make his brother give him his share of the inheritance. And one of the things that we're reminded of here is that as much as we pray for other people, our prayers will not make God violate the free will of another person. But in Jesus' answer back to him, he's going to give some wisdom, and then he's going to give a parable that continues to illustrate that. But I want you to notice how Jesus answers the question. Because you see, Jesus is more concerned about who we are than what we have. He's more concerned about who we are than what we accomplish. He's more concerned, infinitely more concerned, 
about the state and condition of our soul while our earthly and temporal matters are being worked out. And this is huge, I think, when it comes to our prayer life. Because so many times the things we find ourselves praying for are Jesus change that, Jesus change them, Jesus give me this, Jesus give me that. And Jesus here in his response goes much deeper than the simple question that the man is asking. And he gets at the heart of the matter. And that's ultimately where our text is going to end, talking about the heart. But notice, as the man comes up, he says, teacher... You must have a lot of wisdom and power and authority. Tell my brother to divide the inheritance. Jesus says, who made me the judge over this? Then the text says, and he, he being Jesus, said to them. Now, one way of saying this is that Jesus said to the man who asked this question and the crowd who is around him, or Jesus may have said this to the man who asked this question and his brother who was with him. I think it's the latter. And here's what Jesus said. He says, take care. And be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. What an amazing response to a simple question about an inheritance. But again, Jesus sees much deeper. He sees the heart of the matter. And he sees what's going on within this family on this day. And the thing he tells them is you have to guard against greed. You have to guard against coveting. To covet something means to grasp for more because you think that more is going to give you happiness in some way. That's what's at the heart of coveting. In fact, Paul says that when you covet, in Colossians 3, 5, he says that covetousness is actually idolatry at its core. Covetousness is idolatry. I mean, when I'm coveting things, when I have greed for more things, I think that that thing is going to bring some kind of happiness in my life. And we say this a lot, whether we say it verbally or just in our minds, but we say, if I just had that, whatever that is, I would be happy. At that moment when we say that, when we think that, or when we find ourselves living in that way, if I just had that, I would be happy. We have an idol. And the famous quote that I love because I think it's so true is John Calvin who said that our hearts are idol factories. We are constantly making idols out of the things in life, out of created things instead of looking to the creator. And that is what Jesus is trying to do on the stage, trying to get these two brothers, their eyes off of earthly things so that they can see something else. And he says that life is not in the abundance of our possessions. And here when he says the word life, he doesn't use uh, the Greek word bios, which means our way of life, the way in which we live life. Instead, he uses the word zoe, which is our essence in life. He says the essence of who you are as a human being does not have anything to do with the abundance of your possessions. And yet so many times we find ourselves chasing after those things, don't we? So where this man is on this day, it's easy for us to sit here 2,000 years later and judge him and say, oh, you know, what a dumb question. He shouldn't be asking those questions of the Lord, you know, but we do the very same thing. And so the wisdom that Jesus is giving here, he starts and he explains it more in a parable. Verse 16 says, and he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentiful Notice that's verse 16. The land of a rich man produced plentiful. 
So as Jesus is beginning to tell this parable, it starts with a man who is already wealthy, and all of a sudden now he has had another good crop. I read that line, and I thought, how many times have I read past that? Rich man, plentiful crop. When Jesus here is talking about guarding against greed, he uses this example of this rich man who just got more. And I thought, how many times does the good things in our life, do we let them fuel our greed? How many times do we lose sight that the good things that we have in our life come from God, and so we let the good things fuel us? It becomes greed for us. That's why it's so important. Whenever we have good things in life, whatever those things are, we know that the Bible tells us that all good things come from above. They all come from God. And our job is twofold, is to stay humble and thankful. Always humble for what God has brought into our life and always thankful that God has brought those things into our life to make sure we do not find ourselves in that place where we say, look what I did. Because I think one of the greatest tests in life for us as human beings is not living in a famine. When you're in a famine, you're in survival mode, right? When things are bad, things are bad. You're just trying to survive. But one of the greatest challenges in our life is living with abundance, I think one of the greatest challenges for a group of people is living with abundance. The greatest challenges for a country is living with abundance. Because so many times we can lose sight of where those good gifts have come from. See, because how you handle blessings, I think, really reveal the condition of your soul. Again, when times are bad, you just... You're at the bottom. You're just trying to make it. You're trying to keep your head above water. And so many times, how many times have we seen people, when times are bad, boy, they're at church, aren't they? When times are bad, the prayer life just got an upgrade. But the question is, is can we have that same passion, that same hunger, that same desire to know God when we're on the mountaintop? That's the question. Or when we find ourselves on the mountaintop, do we find ourselves losing focus on who God is and focusing on all the good things that he's brought into our life. So this man in this parable, he's already rich, but now he's produced another plentiful crop. And it goes on in verse 17, and there's a progression here in 17, 18, and 19. And it starts in verse 17 with, and he thought to himself. Notice he thought to himself. What shall I do for I have nowhere to store my crops? I, I, my Right now, he's, that's his thought pattern. If we're going to guard against greed, we have to make sure that the good things in life do not fuel greed in us. Instead, we stay humble and thankful. Not only that, if we're going to guard against greed, we have to guard our thoughts. We have to guard how we think about what we have, right? Okay, nobody's with me. All right. We have to guard, about, guard ourselves about how we think about what we have. The problem with the man in the parable is he consulted I, Thought to myself, I, I was thinking about that. Proverbs 28, 26 says, he who trusts in his own heart is a fool. Fool, why? Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things. Who can understand it? But God is God who sees the heart. He sees much deeper within us, even when we think it's hidden from him. So if we're going to guard against greed, the first thing we have to do is guard against our thoughts. But the parable goes on. 
In verse 17, he thought to himself. In verse 18, and he said to himself. He went from thinking to saying. He said to himself, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. So he's gone from thinking about something as a concept to actively talking to himself about all the things that he has, that he owns, that he thinks he's brought into his life. And if we're going to guard against greed, yes, we have to guard our thoughts, but we also have to guard our words. We all need a pep talk every now and then, don't we, in life? I mean, every one of us need a pep talk. But we just need to make sure that when we give ourselves a pep talk, that we give ourselves a Christocentric pep talk, a Christ-centered pep talk. We need to give the pep talk like Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through me who strengthens me, right? Isn't that how it goes? Isn't that normally what we say? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Over and over, Scripture calls us to bring our thoughts back, bring our words back to God. To, to always declare, even to ourselves, that he is the source. So he thinks, what shall I do? He, then he says, this is what I'll do. And then in verse 19, and I will say to my soul, he went from thinking to saying to himself, to now speaking to his own soul. This is how deep this issue is now within him. I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Oh, what a goal in life. You could take the words relax, eat, drink, and be merry, and you could supplement them with one English word. You know what it's called? Retirement. There it is. <laughs> Amen. But when your mind marinates in selfishness, and then your tongue reinforces that selfishness over and over. We have to understand, it's not just something that's going on with our cognitive abilities. It's something that's happening deep in our soul. I want to relax. I want to eat what I want, drink what I want, be merry. Whatever makes me happy in life, he says. And again, for many of us, this is our life goal. But notice verse 20 and the first two words in verse 20. The first two words of verse 20 are, but God, but God. This man is thinking to himself, he's speaking to himself, he's speaking to himself at the deepest level, on a soul level, but, the tech, but Jesus says, but God, but what about God? So many times, this really is our life goal. It is retirement. It's to relax, eat, drink, be married. Just do what we want to. I get it. I get it. I have that same desire in me. I, I, we all do. But what about God? What does God have to do with that? It says, but God said to him, God speaks, and when he speaks, that is his power manifested in our lives. But God said to him, fool. This night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God, Jesus says. The phrase that your soul is required of you, uh, of course, means that tonight is your night to die. 
And the point that Jesus is making in the parable is that while we can live life and we can live our life with the goals of relaxing, eat, drink, be merry, do exactly what we want to do, which many times is nothing, right? But there's going to come that day when we can have as many barns as we want to have. And then we can tear down those barns and build bigger barns because we think that helps us relax, eat, drink, be merry even more. He says, there's going to come a day when God's going to come and it's your time. He says, who's going to have all that stuff then? And the answer is not you, right? Not you. And Jesus is calling at least these two brothers and anyone who's listening that you have to guard your thoughts, you have to guard your words, you have to guard your soul if you're going to guard yourself against greed and you have to constantly remember God. What does God have to say about the barns I build, the things I do, the goals I have in life? What does God call me to? What does God require in that sense? But God. Now, many times this is where the message stops, and I know you would like for it to stop right there. But if you have a Bible like mine, there's a section right below it. And the title of that section is Do Not Be Anxious. And this section on being anxious is connected to what we just looked at because verse 22 says and he said to his disciples therefore and you all know what that means yes do I need to explain it again anytime you see therefore you need to know why it's therefore good (laughs) therefore I tell you he says do not be anxious about your life what you will eat nor about your body what you will put on, for life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you were not able to do as small a thing as that, (laughs) That's small for God. Why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies. They grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown out into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? Right there, what Jesus has done is teaching. A lot of times we stop in verse 21, but 21 connects to 22 and what he's saying there. And what Jesus does in his teaching, he says, if you, you want to know where greed comes from? It comes from worry. Greed actually comes from worry. And you worry, I worry, when I forget that God is the provider. He's the one that takes care of the ravens. He's the one that takes care of the lilies. He takes care of the birds, the grass, and everything else in between. And when we forget that God is the one who provides, it creates worry in us. I have to provide for myself. And when we live with that worry in us, we get this greed that just takes over because I need more, I need more, I need more, I need more because I'm providing for myself. And Jesus says there's a whole different way of thinking. The whole different way of thinking is just to stop and to look at creation and remind yourself of the fact that God takes care of all of this. And I am infinitely more valuable than all of this. 
So greed's source, Jesus says, it's grounded in worry and you worry when you lose sight of the fact that God is the one who actually provides for you. That's why he's using the images of eating and clothing. And he says the problem is your faith because faith kills the worry that produces greed. Faith kills the worry that produces greed. And instead, he says this, and do not seek what you are to eat or what you are to drink or be worried. Again, using the images that he just used with the man in the parable. He says, for the nations, and that is a way of saying the pagans, people who don't know God, the nations of the world seek after these things and your father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom, he says. He says, greed is a source of worry, and that happens when we forget that God is the one that provides everything that we need. He says, but you have to understand that the real prize in life is God and his kingdom and his eternal treasure that only he can provide. He says that's the real prize, that even while we live on this planet, we can actually live into the Lord's prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Thy kingdom come. I can live in that kingdom. That gr the Greek word basilia, the domain, the rule of God. I can live under the rule of God while I live here now. And the question that we have to ask ourselves is, is God our prize? Is our prize eternal or earthly? That's the question. Is our prize eternal or is it earthly? Because here's what happens when it's eternal. When we see that every good gift comes from God and God is the source of all that we have and that his resources are absolutely unlimited, here's what happens. He says, sell your possessions if you want to. Give to the needy. Please do. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with treasure in the heavens that does not fail. You see, whenever we come to that place where we understand that God is the one who provides for us, that releases us to be generous and live a life of generosity where we don't only receive a blessing and pray for the blessings that I want, all of a sudden you become a blessing to other people. Because all of a sudden I is not at the center of your universe. With God as provider at the center of your universe and all of his blessings are available to you. And man, how we forget that. This was the warning of Deuteronomy. Whenever God has set his people free from Egypt, he's giving them the law in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 11 and following. It says, take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commands and his rule and his statutes, which I command you today, Moses speaking. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart will be lifted up and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Even Moses was warning the people that there's going to come a day, you're going to go into the promised land, God is going to provide for you and life is going to be great. And he says, don't forget that when life starts going good, who, don't forget the one who provided all of this for you. Because that is the natural tendency of our heart. As soon as things start going good, we may say, thank you, Lord, but we set off in life, living life as if I did it. 
Because it's my stuff. I have what I want. I'm seeing what I want to see happen. And we totally forget God. Remember the question is, or the phrase is, but God. What about God? And what about what he provides in his kingdom, in his treasure, the treasure that lasts forever that no one can take away from us? And again, the question is, is our prize eternal or earthly? And how we answer that question determines how we live, but in many ways how we live determines how we answer that question. It is both. It is both a decision in time that sets direction in our life, but also the direction that we're going in our life reveals how we really want to answer the question. And do we really want an eternal prize? Or do we just want to relax and eat and drink and be merry? Jesus says, you want to know? You want to know where you really are for where your treasure is? There your heart would be also. He says, if you want to know where you, what your real treasure is in life, all you have to do is look at what you desire. What occupies your thoughts? What occupies your words? How do you speak to your soul? Those are the things that we really desire in life. We can walk around and talk about all the faith that we have, you know, and say that we have faith, but what is the thing that's constantly rolling in our mind? What is the thing that's constantly rolling off our lips? Because those are the things that we are consumed with. That's why the prayer, I think, that is one of the most important prayers that we can pray. I've said this a hundred times over 20 years. It is Psalm 119.36, which says, incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Or as King James says, covetousness. Incline my heart to your testimonies, to your promises about your provision and how you take care of me, just like you take care of the ravens, just like you take care of the lilies of the valley. Lord, I incline my heart to that because I know that my heart is deceitful above all things. And I know what my natural inclination is. And Jesus says, if, you're, if you find yourself in that place where you're caught up in greed, it comes from where it comes from that place because you forgot who is your provider. I titled this message, Eternal Perspective. I think to live with an eternal perspective is to constantly keep God as the center and circumference of all of who we are and what we do. One of the greatest challenges we have in life is how we make decisions, right? How we move forward in time and space, no matter where that takes you, no matter where the path takes you. It will be a blessed path as long as you keep constantly in front of you that it is God. It is all God. And it all comes from God. And I need not look anywhere else but God because He is ultimately my provider. That is what kills the worry and that is what kills the greed. And that's what keeps us from interrupting Jesus one day while He's teaching and asking Him a question about our brother. And that's what He's saying to us today. Amazing. It's amazing how that would impact our prayers, isn't it? Instead of going to God and saying, God, I have another earthly matter I need you to handle, to go to God and say, God, I want something much deeper. No matter how the earthly matter is handled, I see that you're much more concerned about who I am than what I have. And so as you work this out, let not the frustration make me callous, but let it sanctify me.
It's amazing what that kind of prayer would do. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, would you help us as we see in your word tonight, would you help us not fall into that trap of losing sight of who you are, of losing sight that you truly are the one that provides and because of that there could be no worry, no anxiety because we trust you. And Lord, for those of us who are caught in that trap of worry and anxiety and it's produced this greed in us, Lord, would you remove it tonight? May we see you, just you, because you are all we need. We pray this in Jesus' good and powerful name and everybody said, Amen.